so now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to light the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Yeah, we'll be honest with ourselves next week, as usual, and say, OK, it's a stonking result, but what could we have done better? Finding that passion for racing again. You know, stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because I love racing cars and I love competing and that's really what's changed this year. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock has uh, another big week. Uh, we're getting ready in a few weeks' time for Queensland Raceway. Meanwhile, the uh, machinery rolls on. There's plenty of news around supercars. One of the interesting things, Craig, was the uh, they trialled the LEDs in Townsville. It seems they've made a decision they're going to go with them next year. Yes, very much a good move for supercars, although I did uh, scoff with you off-air that perhaps they should be LCDs, not LEDs. LEDs, 50 years ago, were helping the moon landing. Uh, it does seem like old technology. <laughs> but from what I saw on the television coverage not being there, they did seem to work quite well and helping uh, give punters on the hill uh, their opportunity to see where cars were running. Tony, they have listened to you. This is, rather than a score tower at a street race that can only be seen by a few people, this is a score tower in the side of the car. You can feel vindicated and proud that they've finally, finally come through for you. Well, they've been doing it in any cars for at least four or five years, so um, long overdue. Um, on the uh, supercars front, interesting to see some developments. Adderton, uh, the owner of Boost and uh, the uh, owner in waiting for GRM, I would think, he's made an offer to Craig Lowndes that uh, you come and beat uh, Stanaway's time in a car and I'll give you 50 grand. Uh, he's desperately seeking some relevance. I think it's called... Uh, uh, Pauline Hanson, uh, relevance deprivation. So Peter Addison not not being on the uh, horizon. So anyway, other news is that um, TCR, where I went to the weekend at uh, Tail and Bend, TCR uh, has uh, put their hand up to go on the bill at the Adelaide Superloop 500. Um, maybe Supercar's not so keen about it. I don't know. It just seems to me that... Uh, TCR has uh, got a lot of momentum going for it. I would think uh, Adelaide, as they usually have, try and get as many good things on their bill as they can, and they certainly succeed most of the time. So that'll be an interesting battle. They, Just ha- they have the always Shannons. been at the leading edge of getting things on the bill too. You remember they brought the stadium super trucks. Uh, they were one of the first to have uh, the you know the on-track... Um, dodging the cones and those sort of promotional efforts. So it's good to see that, uh, once again, they're looking at different angles of how to, uh, how to provide more for their, uh, their event. And also interesting to see that as we've moved on from the South Australian Motorsport Board, they are still trying to grow and improve the event. It's not uh, as dead in the water as some might have foreshadowed at the end of the uh, board's reign. And the other part about it, of course, is that it's it's that uh, the body that has run the event in Adelaide for so long that has uh, been one of the reasons it succeeded so well. I mean, obviously, location worked, the track design worked, the venue, the putting on the uh, rock all day and dance all night and all that sort of thing. 
you know, so many parts of it uh, are terrific. Yeah. There were too many people who were putting credit for the Adelaide uh, 500 success at the feet of Avesco and supercars when, in fact, the board themselves were largely responsible. So that'll be interesting to see how TCR go at the weekend. Um, more growth in the category of TCR at the weekend because uh, we had two new driver winners and two new manufacturers have a win in Australia that being Audi with Garth Tander and Johnny Martin on board a Honda. So that was fantastic to see. Lots of good bounce back. I mean, Moffat was probably the absolute uh, example of how you can come back in that category because they only have one qualifying session. What you do on Saturday and get as a result on Saturday will where you start on Sunday. And that's the way supercars used to do it many years ago. But now, of course, that's no longer the way. Um, the GTs themselves were running there. Oh, boy, when you have 10 cars in a three-hour race, it, it, uh, it's a pretty hard fix. But nevertheless, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen with uh, Liam Talbot, who's a, uh, a pro-am driver, been around the uh, GT category for some years. They run in a Lamborghini Huracan, and uh, I think it was run by Paul Sepernich. So they got the elements right, and uh, it worked out pretty well for them. So um, there were a lot of interesting things over the weekend over there, but it's probably worthwhile at this stage reflecting on what we've got coming up on this week's show. Craig, a conversation you had with Aaron Noonan. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, at the beginning of the year at the Bathurst 12 Hour, Aaron and I sat down and had a long chat about his journey in uh, in motorsport and, of course, now well known as the V8 Sleuth and also the host of the uh, TCR Australia television coverage. But we talked about his fascination with the history of the cars, and uh, you'll hear that coming up. We also ventured into what the future could hold for the V8 Sleuth. Now, uh, interestingly enough, we said, is a commentary off the agenda? I think uh, it was considered that, yeah, don't think I'll be doing any commentary. And then, of course, the uh, TCR Australia gig came up, which he has uh, taken on and, and done a, a great job with. So uh, it's a good chat from someone who, you know, lives and breathes it and isn't from team land and isn't from head office, if you like. He's worked in PR, he's worked on car manufacturers, he's done the whole gamut of things. So after the break, we'll have Ian... Uh, Ian... Aaron Noonan telling us of his life and world. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske. And you're on Inside Supercar. Well, Aaron Noonan, the V8 sleuth, but uh, certainly a, a man who has built a passion or hobby of following race cars into now a, a reasonably successful business. It's keeping you employed and yeah. the, the wife happy, so yeah. you can't be doing too bad. It's keeping me fed and off the streets, Craig, that's for sure. Um, I think they say that if the secret to life is you make your vocation your vacation. So 
uh, or your vacation, your vocation. Sometimes you've got to wonder which one it is and which way it should be around. But, um, yeah, there's been no grand plan on I'm going to keep history and keep all the things that no one else bothers keeping and then somewhere down the track it'll become a thing. There's never been a plan of that, but it's sort of... I think things just evolve and they just... You start things of, I'm going to keep all the V8 supercar histories. Why would you do that? I don't know, because I'm interested in it. And then all of a sudden, 20 years later, people start saying, ah, I have this old car. Do you know who drove this when and where? And have you got a photo? Yes. Do you know the results history? Yes. Oh, that's valuable to me. Here, send me an invoice. Okay. Um, And then I think the thing, too, that's been a crucial element in the last five years of the things that I do um, is social media. You, you can reach anyone anywhere, um, whether you're looking for an old race car, whether you're trying to find a certain person, whether you're trying to find a photo of something or a piece of information. Um, it's scary how fast things travel and what you can actually do and who you can reach and who can reach you as well. Some people know, some people don't know your background, but you were involved in uh, putting classifieds into magazines for a long time. So in some respects, it is a, uh, is a larger extension of that probably a lot more work but it is an extension of the classified yeah and i probably didn't know it at the time but as a uh as a uh a 16 year old i wrote so to rewind it back which probably takes us well right back to when i probably met you even um and when i met most people in this industry um race fan as a kid in ballarat got to age 14 15 started doing a radio show with some guys there started to think maybe the media motor racing you fuse it all together that's a career um wrote a letter to motorsport news magazine at the time this is 1997 i think it was uh so this is year 10 um hi i'm marin and i'd like to be a motor racing journalist and okay come to caller and cover a formula ford race uh first bloke i met i've told this story a bit but Garth Tander, second bloke Marcus Ambrose, third bloke Todd Kelly. So 1997, so what's that, a long time ago now? And then you do work experience there, you get a job there when you finish school. First job is doing the classifieds in the back of the magazine, which nobody else wants to do, but the new, young, excited rookie will do anything at all. So I will happily, uh, at the time, this is before people email their stuff, um, they fill out their little form, send in their photo. You'd have to scan their photo, decipher their handwriting, put it in the magazine. And I didn't probably know at the time, but the values of cars. There were, there were probably some bargains that I should have gone and bought those cars then, parked them for 20 years and made a mozza now. But, um, and everything else has gone from there. Motorsport News for a couple of years, journalist. Um, uh, did a couple of years there. Uh, Carrera Cup began. Um, and went and worked for the PR for that. It wasn't run by Porsche at the time. It was run by a company, Cup Car, that had a few investors. Tony Quinn was one of them. Um, and Jamie Blakey, who ran Carrera Cup for a long time, is sadly no longer with us, um, gave me a pretty multifaceted role of media manager, corporate liaison, on-track commentator. Anything we need you to do, you do it. And then a couple of years at Holden PR, opportunity popped up in television, commentator for seven eight years in VATV land rights changed situation changed opportunities weren't presented so then it sort of turned into turn the jets up on all the other things of which V8 sleuth became a thing um, which for those who probably you know might not understand what is it it's sort of hard to explain in a way but in essence it was 
keeping and collating all the race car histories as to which was which one, what did what where, who drove that one, who crashed that one, which one won Bathurst, which one did Brocky drive or not drive, um, and keeping a rolling um, updating log that became a word file, that became a website, that became a social media page, that became um, a brand, that became a spin-off into products, books, publications, prints, licensing deals. Um, and at the core of it, though, is keeping race car histories but then spinning it now out into all sorts of other things so um yeah no great great grant plan with any of those things but as one thing happens you meet more people you get more opportunities a door opens here you make a contact there and here we are so yeah it's it's probably hard to explain when people say what do you actually do a bit of everything bit of everything interesting you've had a fascinating group of mentors too you mentioned Jamie Bakey and he was a, a huge supporter of yours and I know he, he had told me about how we're both, well you aren't now but we were both big guys and I know he even had words to you about hey, you you could do all this but you've got to lose some weight for me yeah, yeah which is alright because he was the world champion of probably needing to do a bit of that himself which he did probably to such an extreme that he went back the other way and then back the other way. We never quite knew which Jamie we were going to get half the time. He was up 20 kilos, down 20 kilos. But the great thing was that it was a blank sheet of paper back then. So the great irony was that I'd actually remember writing the story in Motorsport News about Carrera Cup was coming. And there was a legal drama at the time because Pro Car were unhappy that um, Carrera Cup cars... Uh, weren't going to be allowed, I think, from memory to run in Nations Cup. And so I'd written the story one month, and then a month or so later, I'm the PR guy for the series, which um, worked out a little bit strangely. But it was a whole, it was the 2003 brand new season of Career Cup, so there was a blank sheet, there was no job description. It was you're the PR guy, but you're a bit of everything. And from, because I did that, Tim Pemberton, um, plastic to many in the industry, long time Holden motorsport PR guy, saw what I did there. And said, oh, I need a guy. Righto, away we go. Next opportunity. Um, yeah, in, in terms of... And Jamie was... A, it's ironic, we got we always got along so well. But when I worked... I only worked for him for a year. And um, he was he was a up at 4am guy. At the time, I was an up at 7am guy. Which is always hard to deal with when you're not working on the same time frames. But, yeah, he, he was fantastic. Plastic, as I mentioned. Neil Crompton's been a great mentor. Murray Lomax gave me my first chance on Supercast Television when it was on Seven. Um, and there's little people along the way that, uh, you know, you, you probably can't name them all, but the ones who, you know, they, they gave you a shot when no one else would or they saw something that other people didn't see and encouraged it and nurtured it, grew, grew it, because you have to do the work, but... Um, they're probably the, the few names that, and, and back at the start in motorsport news it's David Hassel and it's Phil Brannigan and Chris Landon in particular who just went, who's this cheap kid from Ballarat he seems to ride alright and he's pretty excited about it so go and get him um, and go, make him go and get do the coffees which I, I don't drink coffee and I can't make coffee so I don't think I passed that course actually so. You were in Ballarat because I know a mutual friend of ours uh, you work with in the radio days would used to said he used to give you the auto actions and give you those yeah. magazines. That was that when you started collecting these, or did you actually just read them, throw them out, and you've now gone back and collected them all? It's it's funny uh, you hear um, you have common stories with people in the industry who say, "Oh, I used to have all them, threw them out at garage sale, or threw them out when I moved house." Um, and my dad was the guy that you know every well fortnight then the auto action at the corner store. 
I'd go up and get it and of course you just started building the the file and over time I think I sort of absorbed them they're mine not his even though he paid for them all but over time um, I it's a fine line between being a hoarder, isn't it? But 26 uh, items, I believe. Really? Well, I'm a hoarder then, so I'm, I'm screwed. I'm officially a hoarder then. Um, just just keeping... No, I think at 26, it's oh, you're a collector. Oh, right. I, I, I'm, a, a I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a premium collector then. Um, whether it's keeping um, magazines of eras, um, you know, it, it's... It, it's Having a, just having an interest in the history of the sport, the people, the cars, the races, the things. Um, but then it's being able to apply it back to the now. That's, I think, where the secret is. Um, there's plenty of people who would keep uh, statistics or certain elements of information, or they collect programs. Or they, but I think the great... And I wouldn't say I'm by no means a smart bloke. It's just worked this way that if you can apply it to the now, to the contemporary, um, whether it's a, it might be a brand that has a history in the sport that now wants to celebrate that history, but there's been five management changes in 20 years. There's no content. There's no photos. There's no who did that deal or how did that happen or they've got nothing. Or I've got it. Yeah, we could do something. Do you want a, a magazine done? Do you want some social media content? Do you want a, a, a story done for television? Um, and that's where keeping all this stuff over the years has started to pay off and become, at its core, a business. Um, it's, it's keeping keeping stuff, keeping it for long enough that it becomes relevant again, and then being able to spin things out of it, um, whether it's a... A private commission for a, an old race car owner who doesn't know the history of their car or its results or what colour was it that year? Here's a photo. Um, it's it's really a bit of everything. And when what's a, what's a regular day in your world? There really isn't one because you don't know what's going to come across your email box or um, your social media accounts or what's going to turn up in your letterbox of all sorts of possibilities and, and things. So it's a bit of a treasure trove, really. Where you're at now, you've said isn't where you thought you were going at one stage there you were you were highly driven to try and make the commentary world and, and become a regular commentator and interestingly enough I, I have a feeling you did some tennis but I definitely know you actually were working on the Olympics coverage for seven yeah I did uh, Rio 2016 so um, we well I wasn't in Rio we called it Rio Fern otherwise known as Red Fern out of Sydney um there was an opportunity there that came out of the blue because, uh, well, a long relationship with Seven through working for Supercars and Shannon's Legends of Motorsport was a program that Neil Crompton produced and um, I worked on both behind the scenes and on the camera and then there was a need for a extra, extra bodies in the broadcast team. Some people were going to Brazil, others were staying here, um, and I had a phone call to, would you be interested? And I've always had an interest. As, as much as other people probably don't see my interest in other things, they just see my motor racing. I, I like lots of sports. So I'm, I was an Olympics junkie, junkie as a kid. You know, you want to know a host city from a certain year, I can probably just about remember it. Um, bit of a primary school party trick, I guess. But I, it was an opportunity that wouldn't have come otherwise had I not been still doing the television here so for two or three weeks doing a a 3am to midday shift on seven mate with anything and everything thrown at you of beach volleyball or throwing to the basketball or 
It was really, really great to do and something that took you totally out of your comfort zone. And I learned a lot about modern pentathlon too. So you never know what you're going to learn in life. So it was great. Yeah, really cool. When you started putting your database together, were you thinking, oh, I'm just going to do the supercar years? Or did you, is that where it started? You go, oh, we need the history of supercars. And that's where you, you yeah. thought, oh, I'm going to start there. Well, we're a really weird sport, as in motor racing generally, not just supercars racing. Um, Record-keeping has been a an horrendously done or not done thing. If you walked in at the AFL, they own and have their records. They've invested in it. Same with the NRL or Cricket Australia or um, any of those big-time sporting bodies. But if you went to CAMS, um, they have some things, but they don't have show me the race results from the 19... 19- 68 Australian Touring Car Championship. Um, supercars as a company, these days they don't. They're a client of mine. Um, it, it's like the car history. I just started keeping it because I was interested in it. And then it became a, well, well if I'm going to do it, I may as well do it properly. Um, let's build a database because it makes life easier to find and search and store. Hang on a minute. That could then become material that other people will need for TV broadcasting or race teams or... Um, now there's you know like i said with brands who are looking to celebrate a specific anniversary well you've got the data to show their 100 race wins or their 50 pole positions or, or whatever it might be so um yeah again no great plan but as time goes on the plan kind of finds you and you think well no one else is doing this so it's not like we're uh, there's five supermarkets to shop from here i'm the guy and as over time the industry starts to see that you're the guy. So the industry starts to come to you for things, and when they start to come to you for things, then there's the impetus to reinvest in making it bigger, making it better, um, finding more things, keeping more things, uh, and then it snowballs to the point where we've developed an in-house, purpose-built database of results. So we could put any type of results in from any race, but obviously the focus is the Supercars Championship slash Australian Touring Car Championship We've got the full 20 years of Super 2 now in there. So we could generate... It's just a case of your imagination and what query you you want to run to what information you want to find. So if you want to find... And it's all linked to a chassis. Uh, chassis are in there. We could, we could search chassis, but we could search drivers, tracks, specific races. So if you said, um, give me Shane Van Gisbergen's average qualifying position for Saturday races at the Adelaide 500, we could do that. Um, can you give me the uh, top five list of the longest uh, gaps between race wins in championship history? Sure, press a button. There it is. Um, you know, to who else would figure that out? Who would? Who else would probably th- stop to think of it as a question to begin with? Um, so it turns. It's it's a very powerful tool, and you know, there's been a lot of have invested a lot of money in it, but there's a return there to be had. And as time goes on. Um, it gets harder and harder to find older and older things. So, um, and it also puts it aside that well, if somebody else wanted to try to go and do that, uh, where do you start? It's kind of like having a fifty laps head start in a race. You're never going to get caught, kind of thing. So, um, I think it was important to build a purpose-built database that has the needs of the sport. Um, and it all, it's got lots of nuances. There's weird things that you can't explain to the lay person. So having a, a great IT guy who is an IT guy but a racing guy too, um, his name's Shane Rogers, a Beffy people in the industry will, will know him. Um, he's uh, 
uh, he outnerds me and uh, has built basically what now we use for all sorts of things that we spin out material. Uh, we do a, a preview document for uh, each round of the championship in supercars that uh, Channel 10 have, Fox have, supercars have for all their on-air presenters, um, five or six teams, um, some other industry people who work for themselves. Um, and, and so you charge everyone a little bit and you add it all together and it works so everybody's getting what they need um, obviously it's a business for me so um, it's got to work that way but um, it all works quite well and we just keep growing it and expanding it year on year after the break we'll have here for more from Aaron Noonan each week join the inside motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world yeah I mean it, it means a lot you know through the years a lot of reference this race is one of our majors 600 miles around here is no easy task uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him so it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page Hi I'm Macaulay Jones, I'm from the Cool Drive Racing Team and you're listening to Inside Supercars. This last 12 months though it's been quite a big expansion where you're now employing a, a Will Dale who of course, uh, people would be familiar from uh, his work with Fox and then before that his work up in, in Townsville as well. So obviously you're being able to extend story writing and, and getting even more product out there, which comes with demand. Yeah, and there's, you've only got one, I've only got one set of hands and only so many hours in a day too, so um, when the demand warrants, um, you need more manpower. But you can't just have any manpower or woman power you need the right person for the right job and um having will arrive after six seven years at fox um it, it just was one of those things timing's great he moved to melbourne um hey what are you up to um working away i need someone do you want to come here yeah probably do for a new challenge okay so someone with a great understanding of the sport a great writer uh, well connected in the industry and it helps with i mean we've expanded more into um creating our own books, our own publications. I've invested in a lot of photo archives that I've acquired in the last five, six years. So we want to make retail products and corporate products too. So um, uh, last year we put out uh, two books. We were involved in the new Bathurst Annual for 2018, which we'll do again this year. Um, And he's been a crucial part of that. So, um, yeah, to to add the next layer, you, you need more... More oomph, more power, and, and Will's been awesome for that. So it, I guess that's a sign that what we're doing is having an effect. People are wanting what we're doing, so therefore we need more hands and, and we've got them now. One of the things that we've talked about in generally is curation, and you were involved uh, when the Brock Collection went into Dreamworld, and that must be an interesting challenge as well because it's providing a history, but you're only really providing a, a very bite-sized history for people who might be wandering through it. Yeah, um, knowing your audience is, is probably the thing I've learnt the most, um, and it affects uh, everything. Um, whether I was in the television commentary phase, well, you can't be too specific about... You, know, you can't call it purely for motor racing heads. You've got to have a bit of a broader description that the, the layperson will understand. A bit the same in, in that sort of thing as well because um, it's one of those things that you could um, go too narrow 
uh, doesn't work. You go too broad, nah, it doesn't work. You've got to find a happy medium. So with, with the Dreamworld thing, you pre- your people walking in the door there to look at all these cars and the displays and the, the history boards and the videos and the um, static displays of memorabilia and other items um, you have to presume are a gen- more generic very wide cross breed of um, people there'll be some motor racing enthusiasts there'll be some people who have no idea there'll be some people from overseas um, so you have to try to cater it you can't go into every nut and bolt history of the car it's a bit of a general time and place and trying to get across what does this all mean so um, whereas if we were setting up a display at the Bathurst Motor Racing Museum we're hardcore. We're going straight into uh, every little um, bit, bit of detail. So um, that was a good project to be involved in, putting together all of the audiovisual material, um, all of the history material relating to all the cars that were in there. Of course, um, those sorts of things come with compromise. They come with um, there's a, a range of stakeholders that need all their needs met. Um, whether it's Dreamworld themselves, the collection owners, the Brock family. So, you know, you, you've, you've got to um, apply the best-case scenario to everything that is a win for everyone, which I think we did with, with that project. So that's a really great example of being able to take the material that we've built over time and then roll it out in yet another place um, that hopefully a lot of people saw before it, before it closed down. How did, how did it feel knowing you did all that work? And in some respects, these things do come to an inevitable conclusion, but then to see the collection broken up, what did that mean to you? Oh, that's life. Uh, I mean, it's um, you can't be too connected to things. You've got to care about work, but you can't get too connected to it. So for the couple of years that it was open, um, I think it was still a, a big secret to a lot of people. A lot of people didn't know it was there, um, which, you know, was a promoter enough? I don't know. It's, it's not my job. I wasn't there to promote it. But, um, yeah, it, it's... It's a job. We did it. I think we did it well. Um, the client was happy. It all worked well. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to see it all continue, but that's life. Everything changes. And uh, you, know, you hear from a lot of people who are upset with that the cars are being sold. Well, if you own the cars, you can do what you like with them, and there's clearly a reason for wanting to sell them. So, yeah, it'd be great to keep them all together, but that's just life. Were you involved then in the auction catalogue? No, no, nothing, nothing to do with me. Because I imagine that's one of the things where uh, you really are looking for diversity, having that one product or having that one group of products to get it out to as many channels as possible. And that's really what most people are going, oh, well, I've got a newspaper, I need to get it online, I need to get it here, I need to get it there, but some of those avenues don't aren't monetizable. Yeah, and there's we are, I'm, I'm always looking at potential projects publications could we do a regular magazine i'd love to i love print but um with your with your passionate motor racing fan hat on oh that'd be awesome with your businessman's hat on that's silly um well it could be done it's not something i'd be i mean we've looked at it could we do a um uh, a bi-monthly could we do a quarterly could we we could, but is it the best? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the line a friend of mine used to, likes to use? And you go, is our energy better put in elsewhere? So, always looking at projects and things that we could do. But the great thing is that we've got, uh, we don't have all our eggs in one basket. So, whether I'm popping up on Channel 10 at Supercar Rounds doing some television uh, interviewing and stuff, or I'm in data mode providing material to 
the broadcasters, the race teams, or I'm writing some freelance articles for some other for the Supercars website or some stuff for myself, um, or we're doing a private commission research project on a, a private owner's car. Um, we've got a, a finger in lots of pies, which I kind of learned a long time ago that if you put all your, you, you can put all your eggs in one basket, but if you don't hit the target, you're in trouble. And that was pro- that was probably a supercar television era Murray Lomax chat. Um, you know, you, you put your best foot forward, but just because you do a good job doesn't mean you're going to get where you want to go. Um, so, again, it's not a grand was plan. Was that a tough conversation? Uh, no, that was in the... Was framed. Oh, no, that was in the early part. That was the that was quite early in the piece of, um, you know, and, and always being encouraged to do other television things when they didn't clash or... Um, other commitments that might have had to weave in and around television. So um, I was always in that era given, you know, leeway to be able to do all that sort of stuff. So, um, But over time you actually learnt, would have learned it yourself anyway, but it's nice when someone can give you a little bit of a heads up early that you're aware of it rather than it's a bit too late when you figure it out. So, yeah. Where's, where's the next big opportunity for motor racing in Australia? Motor racing, not you. Yeah, uh, it's a hard question. I think if anyone right now could predict what motor racing will be in five years, um, I think they need a, they deserve a medal because it's hard to know. We're not manufacturing cars here anymore. Supercars is going through a, a different era. Um, it seems like there's not enough money to go around at the moment for all the types of categories that are out there. Everyone's got their own barrow to push. That's not, nothing new. That's been going on for years. Um, what What is... I mean, it's not just us here. It's, it's the world. I mean, I'm not a regular NASCAR viewer, but I see enough... You see the grandstands. They ain't what they used to be. Um, motor racing on the whole is not the thing that it once was. So it's almost... <laughs> We've probably it's constantly been a battle between what's entertainment and what's technology, and where do you get the where do you put the the marker in between the two? I think we need to be pushing it to the entertainment part. The technology will always be there, but I think there comes a point in time where the technology, you know, I, I just can't watch Formula One. I'd love to, I want to, I just can't. Um, World Endurance Championship, fantastic. I can't watch a race. It, it, I've got to be entertained. We just—it's a world we live in now. Um, I mean, I'm a traditionalist, and a, I like the old stuff as much as anyone, and get accused regularly of being a, a supercar sycophant. But the reality is, it ain't what it was. And it, but that's the same with everything in life. So, um, yeah, where are we going? What are we doing? What will motor racing be in five or ten years? Um, what sort of cars will we be racing? Um, and from a supercar's point of view. <sighs> You know, if we can't get a Camaro onto the current chassis, but what do we do next? Do we end up changing that chassis? Do we end up with a whole big change? I don't know. I mean, that's for people who are far higher up the food chain than me to work out. But we're at a crucial time of figuring out if we don't get the next step right or as good as we can get it, then there's really grave danger. I, I think that we'll be okay. There'll, there'll always be some form of top-level motor racing. But what it looks like, what it should be, what it could be... We've got to get it right now because this will, if we get it right now, it'll keep us going for a while. But if we get it wrong with where the sport is at, where manufacturing's at, where just life's at, there's so many other sports and things that people are into that holding people's interest. And once upon a time, a, 
thousand kilometer car race around a mountain was i mean still epic but it was a imagination catching that you could drive a car flat chat all day in 1972 whereas now it's not as much of a capture the imagination as a um an entertainment package so getting the balance between that's another thing so yeah well, if you it's like the lotto numbers if i knew them i'd be really really stoked so if i knew where that was going i'd be i'd be well stoked i know what the next step is but um yeah we're, we're in we're in challenging times but we'll, we'll see what happens or eternally optimistic and what about the media landscape we see more and more in say the supercars media uh, landscape that it is being concentrated down to smaller and smaller numbers and smaller and smaller numbers of outlets that are taking the uh, material in, in terms of on the whole, in, in terms of all types of media? Yeah. Oh, I think it's, I mean, I can only compare it to when I walked in the door as a kid at race events 20-odd years ago. Um, there were motorsport reporters for newspapers that travelled to all the rounds. Um, now, newspapers are still going, but there was no such thing as website, you know, news reporters and specialist websites. And, um, yeah, oh, it's... it's ch- has it yeah 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 i mean yeah i mean uh, you only have to look at the number of motor racing magazine titles that are no longer around to to show that i think there's still a hunger and a um a taste for the sport but it's how people consume it um is you know a monthly magazine you know motorsport news we were fortnightly we were a news magazine with features and interviews but it was the news you can't do a news magazine now. It just it doesn't work. Um, you could do a very good, chunky features um, magazine, but will the advertisers support it? Do they see the value in print? And when you tell them how many you're actually selling, is that enough for them to justify giving you some money? Um, uh, you know, radio. There used to be more radio people floating around. Um, television... Is you know it's the it's the hot topic for race fans. It's been the hot topic for years that fires race fans up. And um, you know, from a supercars point of view, rights deals up in the next year. So, what's that next step look like? Um, does getting some more free to air television? I mean, clearly that's crucial. Um, does that drop the money? And the, well, the money, the, is, the TV is what's funding. You know, and Tony Cochran famously said, Avesco is the biggest sponsor of supercars." Yeah, and it's. It's really important for the teams to have more free-to-air television, but to do that, you will probably drop your rights fee somewhat because if a pay-to-v operator is buying rights and not getting all the things that they were previously getting, they're not going to pay as much. So, yeah, it's it's a balancing act. I'm, I'm glad I'm not trying to do all that because it's very complex. It's not as simple as some people might sort of think it is. It's a very, very, very difficult, highly complicated, um, involved project process whatever you want to call it so um i i I do get to watch a lot of world motor racing not as much as i probably once did but what we produce and 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 this is not me speaking as oh well you're tied into the supercars world and you're paid to say that i think what we produce as a broadcast i mean there's a championship irrelevant of the network or the talent i think our what we hold important how we present things how things look and feel is world-class compared to some of the stuff that gets produced overseas. I think we all think um, because it's overseas, it's better. Um, 
and I, I want, you know, might go and do specific telecasts or categories. I mean, they're all doing a great job and they've all got great products. But for the television telling the story and what it looks and feels like, I think we do a really... I think race fans here don't understand how good they have it. And that sometimes. comes from the fact that downstairs in the garages, from where we are in the media centre here, downstairs in the garages, our Australian top-level motorsport team, you could pick up those operations and drop them anywhere in the world at the quality and the professionalism that they run at. And that's why the on-track product's so good, which then is being done. Nathan's team is doing a fantastic job at transmitting that. So yeah. it, 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 it's more than just one thing's good. You can have the best TV coverage in the world, but if there's one car five seconds yeah. ahead of the next car, there's nothing you can do. There's no story you can make that great. No, no, that's right. And, and I think that the, um, the mentality, too, is the, the supercars TV unit irrelevant of which era it's been you know it was the 10 sport era in the 90s or it was the Mike Gary Channel 7 era prior or it's the 7 modern era supercars or the current Fox 10 um, supercars produced um, broadcasts Um, the mentality of it's like building a race team those little TV units of on-air talent's a race team Um, Whereas, With the same egos to match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably because half of them have come from race teams in the past. Um, but it, it, everyone's got a role and everyone's, um, at heart, we're all racers. We're, you know, I'm not involved in it now, but there's, um, it, it's treated and run like a little race team. You know, Oscar Ferronato was a race engineer in the pit lane. He's now the race engineer in the commentary box. You know, he's producing the sort of material that um, he did in race car land and now it gets transposed into television land. And the way that Neil Crompton would prepare for a broadcast is how he would prepare for a race meeting. He does his notes, he does his research, he goes through his, well, not his data, but he would have done that as a race driver. Now he does that as a commentator, and and all the other guys do the same sort of thing. So um, it's not just a a job, it's a a little race team within that paddock um, to tell the story of, of what's going on out there. You obviously are still passionate about motor racing, as you were as that 15, 14, 12 year old kid. Yeah, it's um, 37 now, which is a worry. They have to stop and think about what the number is. But uh, I walked in the door at Motorsport News at 16 and started full-time at 18. So off those maths, I've now been doing this for longer than half of my life. And uh, when it, I think for, for fans to understand it's difficult. Yes, it's fantastic to work full-time in motorsport. Yeah, how can that be a bad thing? Um, but it's like... Uh, and, and that's not to say I'm ever ungrateful or ever um, dismissive of what we do. So a lot of people in life don't get to do the things that they like to do for work and get paid to do them. But like anything, it does come with its challenges, headaches and negatives, um, and sometimes you do need to just get away from it sometimes too. So um, as you get older, I guess you, um, you've you dealt with enough politics, you've dealt with enough ups and downs that it probably flattens out the curve a little bit but you, there are things that you do still get excited to go and do um, going to the Bathurst 12 hour for the 5.30am start in the dark that's great, that's really cool um, thank god you only do it once a year yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it every uh, every three weeks but um, you know I, I've been lucky enough to go to events I've been to the Indy 500, I've been to Le Mans 24 hour um, and seen some really great stuff that I wouldn't have got to go and see Although I've stood at Eau Rouge at Spa with Tom Christensen and an Audi R8 firing past in front of me. So you go, well, 
as long as you still have those little things every now and then that make you go, that's cool, then you're all right. I think when you lose that, then you're probably starting to think about what do you do next, but I can't see that happening anytime soon. Aaron, it's been a great chat, and thanks for your time. Pleasure. No worries. Another treat on this week's show is a conversation I had at Winton with a a man I've uh, long known and uh, has filled many roles in the supercar paddock. Back in the days of when they were uh, Group C's, maybe? Yes, I think he was involved then. He started his motor racing career on Dragsters with Larry Ormsby. So uh, after the break, we're going to be hearing from Jeff Gregg talking about his new role as the track manager at Winton. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome to Inside Supercars. This is Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Inside Supercars. I'm here sitting in a vehicle with Jeff Grick, who is now the operations manager of the Benalla Auto Club's track at Winton, and having a great opportunity to talk about uh, what he's been up to, and of course, Jeff's uh, history goes back in motorsport, starting off with Larry Ormsby in drag racing, yep. through Larry Perkins and learning how a broom works, then to Gibsons, Walkinshaws, Tasman Motorsport, PWR and Keys Wheel, and finally Charlie Schwerkolt. It's an amazing history you've got in the sport. Lots of championships, lots of Bathurst wins, and a wonderful time, over a long time in motorsport. Jeff, tell us about it. Tony, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate in, in my life to have a great uh, um, capacity to be in motorsport and great opportunities have been presented. And I've, and I've worked and, and uh, befriended a lot of people in pit lane um, and in the industry, so I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been... been uh, I'm glad you used the word fortunate because you didn't use a word that too often people use, and that's luck. Because I don't believe in good luck, I believe in good management. Good management got you to where you did. Everywhere along the line, someone said, hey, could you get involved with us? Now, the interesting thing is that here you are, you've changed camps totally, but a track you've been coming to for 35 years, you said? Yes, yeah. Okay, so now, in fact, you're the operations manager of the Winton Racetrack, Australia's action track, if that's what it's yep. called. Yes, that's right. It's a totally different world you're living in. And um, a tree change, as you said, it must be uh, rather exciting to be here now. Well, it is. It's a it's a it's a challenge for me personally because I'm I've always come here as a competitor or with a team, and we've always whinged about this and that and facilities, and and we become good at it being <laughs> being being race teams. And now I'm on the other side of the fence, and basically I've got to deal with those teams because they're our customers, yep. and 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 less of the clubs and. And, and the guys that just want to come and test and tune. And they, you know, we survive off them and we have to be, I guess, relative to their needs, both the big shows and the small shows. And um, and I'm really going to enjoy that challenge because I'd, I'd like to think that over time we've got some plans to, to keep 
marquee events like supercars, and we're negotiating at the moment, but also to not lose our DNA to all the clubs and the and the and the old folk that love coming here. We just we just the last weekend had the historics, yep. Witten historics with the Austin A Seven Club, and it it was. I don't go to many of those events, as you know, when you're in the cut and thrust of professional motorsport, you, you don't get to see and meet a lot of those people, and it's been a real eye-opener, and 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 another privilege to be involved on the other side of the fence, and um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Tell me, um, you know, there's, there's obviously every time that we come here, there's something small has changed, and sometimes some big things. Um, are there any um, large plans over the next two to three years you've got, or it's just developing what there is here now? Um, no, no. There's the, I guess, I guess, Tony, you could you could do part two that. So the first part is obviously to to keep the keep the facility running, but and do upgrade some of the older parts of the facility and and modernise it, but. On the second side of that, the committee do want to... They want to future-proof the facility in the next 40 years because the region is becoming quite big. And, I, you know, I'm interested in the region because it's our, it's our heartland. So, you know, there's, there's um, 9,000 people in Benalla, double that in Wangaratta, and then, of course, not far up the road, you get into the Albury Redonga, which is becoming almost a super-satellite city. Yep. Uh, you've got Shepparton. Uh, you've got winery, so you've got we're in that mix, and we need to um, we need to develop uh, a synergy within you know supporting the region and you know I think part of that is the the committee um, and I get I have got to get very close to the committee they're a great bunch of people and they want to see they want to see the the place support the region. For forty plus years, so um, as you know, Mick and Barry Stylo and a lot of the older members started it, and they did a very good job at, at establishing the facility. But um, we want to get it up, as I said, and it's very important. I say this with with great respect and and I guess great heart that we don't lose its DNA, but but we also um, lift it up to do more and more with it. And, and that's not just purely motor racing. That's, you know, turning the facility to be, to be multi-functional. Um, right, wonderful. All right, Jeff. Well, we'll certainly look forward to catching up on news as the years go on. And congratulations on this uh, new challenge you've got in uh, getting Winton into the next uh, century and beyond. Thanks for your time, Jeff. Thanks, Tony. It's certainly an interesting tale of a man who moved from race teams to track manager... Um, and uh, he's certainly a man who will make sure that the competitors are well informed on what the track's doing, and uh, let's hope that Winton, for one, stays on the 2020 Supercars bill, but that's uh, more news later in the year, more than likely. Craig, you've had an interesting weekend, apart from your delightful Carlton team winning for you. What a weekend that was, but if we're serious, a couple of things we missed in the news there, Tony. We did uh, miss out that the Junior Development Program, in conjunction with Karting Australia and Supercars, is going to be uh, undertaken. It's a pathway that is designed from the Australian Karting Championship to 
the top level of supercars and uh, it's involving 30 promising youngsters who are going to be mentored by Paul Morris to help them on their way into the supercars development program which of course now starts officially with Super 3. Um, You could even say it starts officially with the Super Utes but we'll see how that pulls up and also two other podcasts have got uh, hosts going at each other hammer and tong carrying on from their shenanigans at Townsville so uh, you've got Below the Bonnet with David Reynolds, Caruso and Andrew Van Leeuwen where uh, Reynolds is talking about uh, well his thoughts on motorsport and then uh, Scott McLaughlin works with uh, Jack Rewell on uh, balls and bumpers and so they've each had things to say about each other following the Townsville weekend. So uh, plenty of podcast offerings in the market now for Supercars fans, which is uh, great. Uh, We were talking about Paul Morris before there, Tony, and it seems like Anton Di Pasquale is going to be uh, relying on his manager, Paul Morris. I didn't know Paul Morris was in the uh, driver management game, but good luck to uh, Paul, who uh, is going to be handling some of the uh, trickier negotiations, I think, because I could see Anton Di Pasquale would be a driver that a lot of people would be interested in. He's fast, he's uh, very presentable, and a likeable character as well. Paul's been actually involved with his career since uh, Anton stepped away from Mark Larkham. Larkham, of course, helped quite a bit in uh, Anton's European adventures, getting him into Formula Renault and uh, other things over there. Um, and Paul certainly played a part. Anton regularly uh, talks with him, and uh, quite often at a race weekend, a supercars race weekend, there will be Paul Morris in the Erebus uh, garage. Um, yeah, look, it's been a fascinating week sport-wise. I think one of the things was uh, came up over the weekend was not time certain, but the way in which that uh, the World Cricket Cup ended, the One Day Cricket Cup Championship ended. A debacle, and one that certainly, uh, well, you know, finally after 44 years, England has won one of them. It had been uh, singularly unsuccessful, most unsuccessful cricket team you could almost imagine was England's one-day team. And they it's limped over the line. They uh, uh, There were various mistakes made, it seems, in umpiring. But again, um, <laughs> for them to... to be screaming and yelling about how we won, we won, and won. Um, and New Zealand was uh, almost, you could say, was cheated out of it. Turns out there uh, was a mistake made in the runs uh, given to one of the batsmen in late in the, in the last over, in fact. Um, so they shouldn't have gone to a super over. But regardless of all that, um, it now is a situation where People are looking at the way in which sports events end, and let's hope that we don't get many more of those time-certain races because they certainly rob the uh, the audience of a, a really good firm finish. Would you agree? I, I do, and uh, interesting, we spoke to Aaron Noonan earlier in the uh, show. He did a stat, uh, I can't remember whether it was this year or last year, about how many time-certain races there are, and it, it's amazing that there aren't that many. But it's funny how... They just seem to annoy you when they happen. Um, I think it might be only like 3% of all the supercar races have been time certain. It's it's a very, very low number. But what invariably is the problem, just not about having to finish for TV and all these other things, the problem is 
The cars are normally always compressed together at that time, and it's about to be a very exciting race. So all of a sudden the checker flag's thrown early, and you go, gee, if we had just had those six laps or those 15 laps or those three laps, what would it have been? And I, I feel that's why I get my back up and other people get their back up on it because the actual numbers say it's a very, very low percentage of races that end that way. But what got my back up, you you certainly were aggrieved by the cricket, as I think uh, the entire land of the long white cloud was. I was aggrieved by a tiebreaker in the fifth set. Now, Tony, I don't know whether you're a big tennis fan or not. Um, Fogues is the tennis man out of uh, the crew that we have on the show. But... I do not like tiebreakers. I do not think you should have a tiebreaker at any point of a tennis match, let alone after 12 all in the most memorable Wimbledon final in history. And uh, yeah, so that that's my that's tennis's equivalent of a tiebreaker. Uh, sorry, the tennis's equivalent of a time certain race in my opinion, and they do it um, over and over throughout all of the championship. Um, Anyway, that's uh, that's where I see um, the problems in sport at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I, I think uh, it has been funny over the last couple of days to see England lauding their World Cup win. Congratulations, Tom Howard. On the back of uh, the World Cup win, he has certainly been putting together some great stories over there at Speed Cafe. Um, so I guess he's up and about because of the result. And that's what victories like that do to a country, isn't it? Indeed it do. And uh, look, I, I, we all know what uh, rain-shortened races and um, <laughs> times certain and uh, those times when Bathurst hasn't run the 4,000 or 500 miles and back in the day. It's certainly uh, major events. We do not want to see them in that way. One other thing it highlighted was that <laughs> in England you have been free to wear cricket for something like 15 years. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just ludicrous. No wonder cricket has been dwindling as a spectator sport. Some would say, Tony, in England, you've never watched free-to-air cricket because you've always had to pay for a TV (laughs) licence. All right, well, that's it for this week in Supercars. So thank you from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.